Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, it's Candice and Kayla, and we are Directionally Challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. But that's why we have experts on this podcast who have it figured out. Oh, that is so right. Um, right now, it is 2020 and we are recording this. Candace, you are still beautifully glowing in your pregnancy. Oh, gosh. That's <laughs> one way to put it. I am still super inflated with like very chubby feet that are painful to walk on. I am going to give birth any day now. Um, but I'm so glad that I have yet to give birth because we've been really excited to sit down with today's guest, Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She is a physician board certified in psychiatry and addiction medicine who delivers comprehensive and a compassionate approach to treating addiction. Dr. Harrison is the chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health, a value-based provider of comprehensive outpatient addiction treatment. You can listen to her podcast in recovery, which is a weekly go-to for any and all questions about addiction, treatment, mental health recovery, and everything in between. Um, I've been a fan of her podcast and was really excited to sit down with her today. So I'm holding the baby in. 
We were recording this around the holiday season. Uh, you know, how are you holding up as I'm holding the baby in, Kayla? I'm doing okay. I'm really, I'm doing okay. I'm excited for the holidays and really excited for our conversation with Dr. Nzinga. So without further ado, here it is. And we are here with Dr. Nzinga Harrison. We are so happy that you have joined us today um, to talk about a very important topic. Um, Addiction is a difficult topic to discuss because no matter what our experiences may be, um, judgment can seem easy and empathy Mm -hmm. can sometimes seem hard. So let's just start from the beginning and strip this down. Um, What is addiction and what are the different types of addiction? Because I think people typically think only, you know, alcohol or heroin or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So if we start with kind of a broad definition of addiction, it's anything we continue to do once the negative consequences outweigh the positive consequences. So to let that sink in just a little bit, as humans, kind of the way we're biologically wired, we don't do anything if there's no benefit. If there's no benefit, we literally just stop doing it. It holds no importance to us. There's no reason to do it. It just falls out of our lives. There's no benefit. And so even with an addiction, there are benefits. But that whatever it is, and I'll I'll explain why I'm saying that whatever it is, because to your point about not just alcohol, not just opioids, whatever it is, is giving us benefit, but it's causing us more harm than benefit. And so when you talk about the different types of addictions, um, we divide them kind of into these two big categories, which are substance addictions. That's what people generally think about. So alcohol, heroin, methamphetamine, ecstasy, cigarettes, vaping, right? All of those substances. The other big group is called process addictions. And so process addictions are really You can think of it as like addictions of behavior. So it's not a substance, but this can be gambling, sex, porn, exercise, work, technology. It's an ever ever long list because literally anything we keep doing, once the harms start outweighing the benefits, we could fall under that definition of process addiction. That's a great way to explain it and very concrete. Um, One of the things that I appreciate about your podcast in recovery is that it not only outlines what someone who is an addict or who has addiction or struggling with addiction might be going through, but it also broadens it to the people around them, Um, their family members, their partners, uh, friends. If you have a loved one, who is an addict, you know, the, the ripple effect of what the addictions are. Um, do you feel that a support system for the support system of someone who struggles with addiction is often an area that gets overlooked when talking about addiction? Totally, totally. So our concept when we're um, the support system or the loved one or even an outsider, which if you look at Uh, the number of people affected by addiction, there aren't many of us who are outsiders. Um, Most of us are in the support system or the the circle somehow of someone who has addiction. We think of it as that person 
is struggling with addiction. When in reality, just like any chronic condition, your support system is also struggling. And even more so than other kind of physical health chronic conditions, because um, substance use disorders being the substance addictions and the other process addictions are behaviors that affect the others around us, sometimes even more so with addiction, the support system is really, really affected. And we have just done a very poor job of making it a systematic part, whether your person is in treatment or not, of understanding and validating your struggle as a support person and getting support in place for you as a support person. And I assume that that would make you a like better equipped to be a support system, better equipped totally. to be a parent of a child who's struggling or a friend or a partner. It would give you the dialogue to be able to have as opposed to maybe falling into the traps of enabling or um, triggering off, you know, elements of, you know, said person's addiction habits. Um, do you see that happen as well? Totally, 100%. And so what's so important, and I want, you know, you listen to the podcast, so you know I'm all about like resources. Um, and so the resource that I want to drop for this is We The Village. So it's wethevillage.co. And Jane is the CEO and founder, along with her husband of wethevillage.co. And she founded it because as he was going through his addiction, there was nothing for her. And she was like, there has got to be something. Like, I am over here struggling how do I even know? Because we use enabling. Like, how do I even know if I'm enabling? How do I find compassion when things are so hard and I'm so angry? How do I navigate safe boundaries when like, this is my husband? And so she created We The Village and it is based in evidence and it is like a curriculum that you go through that is like, here's what you need to know. Here's how you stand in compassion. Here's what enabling is. Here's how you set compassionate boundaries because you do have to set boundaries, but it don't have to be like, get out my house, I hate you boundaries, which is often what it feels like. Like the pain is so great. It's like, get out my house, I hate you. When in reality, you hate the pain, you hate the illness, you don't hate that person. And so it's this whole curriculum for helping loved ones, like you said, understand, like think about it if... Somebody in your family right now got diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Do you know what it is? No, no idea. <laughs> Correct. You need education. <laughs> so Guillain-Barre is um, a nervous disorder that basically affects your nerves and leads to paralysis up to the neck and can rapidly result in death because your diaphragm gets paralyzed and you stop breathing. And it comes out of the blue. And it is scary. You are living your life. And then one day you're like, I feel like I can't walk. And then three days later, you're in the ICU, can't breathe. As a support person, what if nobody ever said to you, this is what Guillain-Barre is? This is how we treat Guillain-Barre. This is how we increase the chance that your loved one makes it out of this. This is the support you need for yourself. 
when your loved one comes home, this is the support your loved one's going to need. And this is the support you're going to need, because whereas that person previously was taking care of themselves for a while, they might be in a wheelchair. What if none of that happened? You would have no idea what to do. Your fear of the worst would be so high. You might think you could get up right now if you just tried. I see you moving your arms and they told me that this is not permanent. So why don't you just get up? Your coping would be stretched to the ends because of your fear and your lack of understanding and no support. This is what we do to the loved ones of people with addiction. It don't make any sense. It really doesn't. It, uh, so how do we begin to separate the illness from the person? Mm-hmm. This is the hardest but most important thing. Um, so we all kind of like, if you're raised in the United States especially, but in a lot of countries across the world for sure, we conceptualize who a person is by how they think, how they feel about things, what they believe, what they do. We're like, that's who you are. When we think about physical illness, like chest pain, that's not who you are. That's something that's happening to you. Or diarrhea or throwing up, like you're not diarrhea. (laughs) Like diarrhea (laughs) is something that's happening to you. But when we look at um, addiction and other mental health conditions, because the symptoms of those are what we think, how we feel, our behaviors, those are the symptoms of the illness, then it's like so hard to tease apart that that's not who you are. That's something that's happening to you, an illness. And so a lot of the education for the person with the addiction, but for the support system also is just constantly reinforcing. We think we have ultimate control of our thoughts and our beliefs and our choices and our behaviors. But I can talk to the women who are listening, like you may recognize in the middle of the month that the thinking is different. You're like, I'm usually so optimistic, but right now everybody could kick bricks and fall in a hole and I wouldn't care at all. (laughs) As a matter of fact, maybe I'll kick you into that hole. (laughs) That's because the quality of our thoughts literally are chemically being changed by our hormonal cycle. Usually your husband would be like, you didn't put gas in the car. And you would be like, stop, you're annoying me. This is my own house. I never put gas in the car. (laughs) And I'd be like, stop mentioning it. You're annoying me. But at some times, that can make me cry. You didn't put gas in the car. And I'm like, oh my God. That's because chemically, physiologically, our emotions, our thoughts. And then so from that, I pick a fight, which is a behavior. Our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors are very, very much chemically driven. And so if we can just be reminding ourselves that even though this person in front of me who I love, their behaviors are like hurtful and awful. Their emotions are all over the place. I can't even predict what's coming. Their thinking is not in line with the values that I know we share. That's because that's not who they are. That's an illness. 
It's so hard to separate too, especially I think when lying is such a common Mm -hmm. thread Mm -hmm. and deceit and, and, and it's just, you get your hopes up thinking. I think it's so easy to get caught up in the idea of, you know, if you love someone who's struggling with addiction that, you know, there's a lot of heartache and -hmm. then maybe this idea that they go get help and they've rehabilitated and, and then there's this hope that everything is going to feel calm and, and, and level and concrete for a while. And then old habits or patterns and it, you know, and I don't know if those are appropriate words to use, but all of a sudden things start to feel familiar and lost Mm -hmm. and scary again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it gets that the cycle of that, um, is what can be really hard for loved ones of those who struggle with addiction. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I try to do is put that same conceptualization. So what we're talking about is addiction as a chronic relapsing, remitting illness. And so when I say that in medical terms, what I mean is like during periods of relapse is when you have symptoms of the illness and during periods of remission is when you don't have symptoms of the illness. Where we have made the mistake is this idea that addiction gets cured. And so you get into recovery and the illness is done and phew, we made it past that and that was a horrible time and things are better now. When really we need to be thinking about it as the relapsing remitting condition it is like we think about breast cancer. So when a woman or man survives breast cancer, one, the compassion that comes when you get that diagnosis is overwhelming. But two, we know that there is a risk of relapse of cancer. And so we keep surveillance in place. Right. As you're going through that initial treatment, we're wrapping around you, we're wrapping around your family, we're doing the education, we're doing the biological treatments, we're trying to keep your stress low, we're trying to make sure you're eating right. When you get into remission, we're trying to keep all the pieces of that formula that got that breast cancer in remission in place. We're surveilling. So now we're doing our monthly breast exams so that if the slightest anything possible starts to come up, we can catch it early before it turns into a full-blown relapse of that cancer. We're doing your mammograms every six months instead of every year so that we can be in front of it. We're practicing keeping that stress down, you know, avoiding those things in the environment that can cause cancer to come back. And so if we try to take that same concept of addiction, I think part of the reason the relapse feels so devastating. One is because it is, but two is also because we have this misconception that like, phew, sore throat, took my five days of antibiotic, done. That was awful. Thank goodness it's over. When it's really diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma, cancer, addiction. Right. We have to constantly be pouring into that magic formula. And sometimes even when you do everything right, the biology of the illness is that the illness relapses. Even when you do everything right, some women who have been in remission from cancer for six years have a recurrence. So knowing that it is a recurring illness, how do we set boundaries for ourselves and then continue to 
uphold those boundaries so that if we do have loved ones suffering, we are able to help them and be the best version of ourselves for them. Yep. And so I think it starts with the same thing we were talking about earlier, which is really, and this is hard work and it's work that you will have to do like day in and day out, separating the symptoms from your loved one. Because what you, the message you want to be sending is like, I love you. I have to set these boundaries to keep myself emotionally safe and physically safe. That doesn't mean I don't love you. What I hate is the illness. What I hate is the symptoms of the illness. What I hate is seeing this illness steal you from me. What I hate is the space that this illness puts between me and you. What I have to do is keep myself safe emotionally and physically. And so these are the boundaries that I'm setting, but you set those boundaries in a compassionate way. So definitely like this happens for spouses, this happens for parents, where the person is living with you and you have to draw the boundary that for safety reasons, emotional, physical, or both, you can no longer live with me. That boundary can be set like, get out, good luck. I'm, a, I'm, I'm fed up, I'm up to here. I can't deal with your choices. Or that boundary can be set I know you have this illness, so let's find a place that can support you where you can live because that place is not here for my emotional safety and my physical safety. And I say, I try to use the same thing. Like if you have, I always try to put it next to a physical health um, situation, kind of just like to to drive home the the idea of, of the parallel. This is like, when you have a parent who develops dementia and at some point for your emotional safety and your physical safety, you cannot have that parent living in your house anymore. Or at some point for their safety, you can't have them because it outstrips your ability to take care of them. This is the same thing. Many substance use disorders will at some point outstrip your ability to be the one. And so what do you do? You try to help get connected to resources. You try to find the professional that can be the one. If you can't find that and this person is like, nope, I'm just leaving. You say the door is not open for you to come back until the, you know, your illness is in remission, but the phone is on. Call me. I'll help you try to get connected to some resources, right? Like I'm pointing my ire at the illness, not you, but emotional and physical safety is always number one. I feel like another one that comes up too is financial healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. How, you know, getting to that point as well. um, How does one navigate that? Because yeah, it's very hard. I think that comes up the most probably, or at least I've heard as well that no, from my own healthy boundary, I cannot have you living here anymore, but my phone is always on. Well, what do you say when it comes to money and, and needing that support? What, yeah. what kind of healthy boundaries can stem from that? Yep. So same, same concept, which is so I would put financial um, security under emotional safety. And so I want to encourage people to set the same compassionate boundaries around finances as you would think about. So it's easier for us to think about physical safety, 
So I always tell people, set the same boundaries around your emotional safety. To include financial security, set the same boundaries around those as you would around your physical safety. And so it may be, say this is your spouse. For my financial security, we cannot share a bank account. I have to have my own bank account because your illness, the symptoms of your illness have made it such that your decision making around finances introduces an insecure, emotionally unsafe environment for me. And emotional safety and financial security is paramount. So I have to have my own bank account. Right? It's it's a compassionate boundary. Yeah. And yeah. maybe, maybe you're the wage earner and your spouse is um not earning any wages, and that has been the financial dynamic of the house that they had an allowance or took a certain amount of money or whatever, but now that money is going to drugs. It's like, okay, if these are the basic needs that have to be met, like I'll buy you food, but I'm not giving you money. Yeah. If I was paying the rent, I'll pay the rent, but I'm not giving you that money to pay the rent. I'm giving that money directly to your landlord. Yeah. And these are circumstances of, you know, obviously parents or partners or loved ones or friends um, Mm -hmm. dealing with another adult. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of boundaries can parents or loved ones set um, for children or or those who are of a young adult age, but still not of legal age? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And it's really hard, right? Because sometimes you do get to the point even for your younger adolescent child, that for safety, you can't have that child in the house for safety. And so there, like it is our parental responsibility, whereas unlike with an adult, we can say you can't leave here. I can help connect you to some resources. That's your choice, whether you go like parental responsibility or for a minor is going to be finding a place for them to go getting the resources in place for them to go there, making sure that they understand just like if grandma had dementia or had a stroke and I could not safely take care of her, I would find a place for her. This is what I'm doing for you. I'm not kicking you out because I hate you because you're not my child. I love you. You're sick. I do not have the ability to keep you safe. And that is why we are looking for these other resources. Same thing around money. Um, it's actually easier with the child because the adults probably control the money more so than an adolescent um, or young person is. Same kind of boundaries. I will take you to this place and we will buy these clothes or I will take you and we will buy this food, but cash will never go from me to you. And that's not because I think you're a bad person. That's because I know cash is the number one motivator of human behavior. And your brain biologically, chemically right now has been programmed that the most important thing in your life is this drug by virtue of the dopamine pathway. The dopamine signal that that drug can generate is bigger than a hug from me. It's bigger than love from me. It's bigger than having a stable home. It's bigger than eating a delicious meal. It's bigger than having sex. Those are all of the things that give us a natural dopamine signal. It is One million to one billion times bigger laboratory facts. And so I know if I give you this money. While your brain has this programming, that money is not going to go buy food because your brain is like, I need a dopamine signal. And this drug 
just by virtue of the size of his dopamine signal is more important than food. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so <laughs> delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix my favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier 
effortlessly. And we're back. It sounds like there's a lot of sitting down and have and communicating with the individual. And I can see how there would be some instances where that you would find yourself able to communicate, but they sometimes they may not be able to just sit down and have a conversation with you. Um, So what do we what do you do in that scenario? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get support in place for yourself to deal with the grief. Keep the light on. Right. Because today is not the same as tomorrow. And so whereas you can't talk to them today, and obviously I'm using tomorrow euphemistically, doesn't mean that there's not a time where there will be something that will allow you to reach them or something that compels them to reach out to you and you want your light to be on. Sometimes it's our approach, right? Sometimes it's like, you got to stop using this or else. And that dopamine signal is hearing you saying, I have to get rid of this thing that's keeping me alive or else I have to choose or else because this thing's keeping me alive from a dopamine perspective. And so that's part of that we the village training and that support for you also is like how to even introduce this conversation. But then also, and this applies to our younger people as well as our adults, and it can be even more difficult when you're dealing with your kids and your adolescents, but it applies that there is autonomy. And the fact is, even though we know this brain is under a chemical barrage and like they say in AA and NA like has been hijacked, which is true, like the brain chemistry has been hijacked and that is leading to decisions that this person wouldn't otherwise make. They have the autonomy to make those decisions. Mm. And so sometimes we have to grieve and we want to be able to grieve in a way that allows us to keep the light on, right? Allows us to keep that light of hope that one day this might be different. And if I keep that, like, you know, I have family members in the midst of severe addiction right now. And it's like, send a text message every three days. I'm just letting you know the light is on. I know you're not responding. I know you won't answer any of my calls. I'm just letting you know at the point you're ready to reach out, I will answer the phone. But then you grieve because we had a long period of remission. And this is a relapse. You have to let yourself grieve that. All five stages of grief, denial, Mm -hmm. anger. So, you know, you know, the Kugler-Ross, all of that. Do you think that there's validity to the idea of that someone who's struggling with addiction has to be ready to want the help themselves? Or do you think that the support system truly can lead them to a place of wanting to, um, I, I don't know the exact word to use of, of like, um, rehabilitate or get better or move through their addiction, move forward? So, yes, but I'm going to put a lot of qualifiers and caveats around <laughs> it. Okay. So, yes, a person has to be ready. The same way a person with diabetes has to be ready. The same way a person who's having a heart attack has to be ready. The same way a person with cancer has to be ready. And the reason I put, the, put all of those caveats and qualifiers around it is because what it has turned into for addiction, a person being ready, is a way 
to remove the responsibility of this failed treatment system that we have and put that blame on the person with the illness. And I don't accept that. And the other thing it has become a way is is to be erected as a barrier when people do ask for help. So what can definitely happen is that a person can have heroin addiction and also be drinking alcohol. And they can go to a treatment program and say, I want to stop heroin. And the treatment program can say, you have to stop everything, make a commitment to stop everything forever for the rest of your life. And that person will say, well, I'm not ready to stop alcohol. And they'll say, well, you're not ready. And use that as a reason to turn that person away for treatment and send them out in the street. Or the other thing that happens is a person comes in and is ready for treatment by virtue of the fact that they came in. And then the drug screens don't turn negative. And the treatment program says it's because you're not ready for treatment. When really it's because they have a severe illness that is taking time to get under control. And so in that way, this idea that they have to be ready, yes, but there are ways to compel people to get ready that don't always work. But like you've been trying for a long time to change your diet or you haven't. Your doctor's been talking to you for a long time like you need to lose weight. Your cholesterol is high. I'm prescribing this medication, but you're not taking the medication. Your blood sugar is high and that's putting you at risk for a heart attack, but you haven't been able to change your diet. And there are lots of reasons for why this becomes the story. But then in the middle of the night, when you get that chest squeeze of a heart attack, you're ready. Hmm. And so sometimes that same process happens. We need you to stop drinking. You need to stop using this, that, da 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 Something happens and we don't always know what it is. And like the squeeze of that heart attack, it gets that person ready. I did air quotes since this is a podcast and nobody can see that. <laughs> right? It quote unquote gets that person ready. But the way we structured our systems and a lot of times we're so blinded by the pain of all the previous experience, we can't see that. We can't see it as a moment of readiness. And you call that you've re- referred to that as harm reduction, yeah. essentially. And do you get, do you have a lot of conflicting um, pushback on that from mm-hmm. other people within your industry? Um, but I can see where it's like, yeah, it's like one, I mean, one step at a time. I can see where, you know, the idea of just completely stripping everything away um, would be very terrifying for the person who's struggling with addiction while it's like those around them who've been hurt and are scared and feel out of control and that the loved one's life is out of control, thus their life is out of control, that they just want to take all the bad away so that Mm -hmm. they can control it and make it a good, healthy level situation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's where it just gets really emotionally messy. It is. It's really like this illness is emotionally messy and it's difficult and it's painful and it's hurtful. And so whenever I'm talking on the podcast, like I always want to make it clear. I deliver, you know, I deliver these words as if and then you go do it. But no, (laughs) this is like devastating illness that steals our loved ones, whether they're alive or dead. Like sometimes it steals them to dead. Sometimes it steals them while they're still alive. And that can be even more painful. And so it's like, 
the concept of harm reduction, and this is a quote by Monique Tula, who is the executive director of the National Harm Reduction Coalition. She says the practice of harm reduction is the practice of unconditional love for people who use drugs. And all it means is like, even though you're using drugs, I don't want to leave you out there to die. Even though you're using drugs, I don't, you don't, if you don't have to get HIV, I don't want you to get HIV. If you don't have to develop cirrhosis of your liver, I don't want you to develop cirrhosis of your liver. So I will accept some incremental reduction of your risk. And to put it in a physical health context, because, you know, that's my thing. To put it in a physical health context, it's like with diabetes. You know what? I want you taking this medication every day by mouth. And I want you taking insulin every day. And I want you checking your blood sugar twice a day. And I want you exercising 30 minutes a day. And I want you reducing your stress. And I want you engaged in meaningful life activities. This is the magic formula to perfectly control that diabetes as best as we can. But you know what? If I can get that oral medication, and even though you're not going to change your diet, I'll take it. If you're you're exercised, but you're going to eat what you want to eat, I'll take it. Because it's reducing, incrementally reducing the harm that that diabetes can cause to you. And as your primary care doctor, I'm going to keep this relationship with you longitudinally over time with the hopes that an opportunity will come where you'll be like, you know what? My granddaughter looked at me and said, Grandma, you look 30 years older this week than you looked last week. And I decided I got to start exercising. I'm here for you. I am here (laughs) to help you grab this moment, right? Or like one of my patients, when her four-year-old walked in on her smoking crack, and she was like, I have to stop. I thought I had been hiding this from my grandchildren and my grandson just my my grandbaby just walked in and saw me smoking crack. I'm here for you. Right? Our relationship is already in place. Even though all this time you've been coming in every single week, your drug screen's been positive for cocaine. We didn't say you're not ready. We said, what are the barriers? What's important to you right now? How can we help you? How do we keep this relationship? And then you didn't plan on your grandbaby walking in, but your grandbaby walked in and that was the squeeze of a heart attack in the middle of the night. Yeah. You mentioned that you are all about resources. So do you have resources on one hand for um, those who are listening who might be struggling with addiction themselves? And on the other hand, those who are listening who are loved ones of addicts? For sure. So I'm chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health, where we aim to take care of people at every phase of this illness in the most compassionate long term. Like we say, Eleanor for life you can check out, but you can never leave, right? Like we will, we will always be there with you. So if you go to our website, we've put a lot of resources there, um, eleanorhealth.com. We have free online support groups for people who are actively using, no judgment, just compassion, no commitment, just support. Go on eleanorhealth.com, find it. 
We have free online support groups for people who are in recovery, who, whose illness is in remission. No commitments, no money, just support. We have online free support groups for loved ones and support system. So eleanorhealth.com, definitely go there, look it up. If you're in New Jersey or North Carolina or Massachusetts, call us because we can join your team in those states. Also call us if you are a loved one or support system in North Carolina, New Jersey or Massachusetts because we take care of people affected by addiction. That includes you, whether you are the person with it or not. We can we can help you. We can help with these boundaries, emotional safety, creating space, navigating grief. We can help with all of that. So that's Eleanor Health. My second favorite resource for loved ones is We The Village. WeTheVillage.co, not .com. Leave mm-hmm. off the M, okay? WeTheVillage.co, it is remarkable, like, of the support system who go through their program, more than 60% of their loved ones enter treatment. Wow. That's a huge statistic. Mm-hmm. So you're the, just by virtue of you getting the support you need, you're creating a pathway for your loved one to get the support they need. So definitely for people who are using harmreductioncoalition.org. There are specific steps that you can take to keep yourself safe, even while you're using on that website and resources broken down by state. We do not want you dead. We do not want you with HIV. We do not want you with hepatitis C. We do not want you catching legal charges. Go to harmreductioncoalition.org and work your way down that checklist to keep yourself as safe as possible even if now is not the time for you to reach for abstinence or reduced use. And we'll have all of these in our show notes as well for our listeners. Dr. Harrison. Oh, don't forget in recovery, the podcast. And, oh, yes, and the podcast, <laughs> most importantly, your podcast in recovery, which you reference these resources um, throughout it as well. And yeah. and and also, um, just as Kayla was talking about at the, at the very beginning of this episode, uh, you cover a whole bunch of topics on addiction. It's not just drugs. It's not just alcohol. It's everything that you were mentioning at the start of our conversation. Yeah. All of the things that make us human and start out amazing and then turn into their own thing. This is such an important conversation to have. And thank you for everything. You are truly exceptional. And the work you do is so important. So thanks for taking the time to sit with us and um, help everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yay. And then one last thing I almost forgot. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, thank you very much. You can find me on Twitter at NAHarrisonMD. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but I'm kind of not cool enough for Instagram. So <laughs> I really doubt that. I think you're really too cool. And I'm like on Facebook. My teenagers are 13 and 15. And they're like, Mom, only people your age use Facebook. So if that's the case, then you're my age. Then Nzinga Harrison, MD on Facebook. <laughs> Dr. Harrison, it. thank you so much for joining us today. And thank yeah, you. can't wait to listen to more episodes of your podcast. Thank you very much. Let's not make this the last time. 
It's interesting because when most people think of addiction, they think of someone struggling. And I don't personally think of the big sphere around that individual that it affects and how many family members and loved ones are also, like Dr. Nzinga said, struggling with addiction. And she has so many wonderful resources and has such a fresh perspective on the topic. And I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation with her. It's true. It's imp- it's really hard to not be affected by addiction in the slightest. Everyone knows someone. Um, right. If you're if it's not something you're struggling with, you know someone who is, or you might know someone who knows someone who mm-hmm. is, and and that ripple effect is very real. And and so what I appreciate about her approach so much is that she really considers that whole ripple effect and, you know, whoever is struggling with addiction, that they have the resources that they need and that support system around them, that they also have the, the, um, resources that they need to take care of their own, you know, emotional health and physical health. Um, because that can so often go overlooked and, and, that's what she does such a great job within her on her own podcast of talking about weekly. Right. And her idea of harm reduction was something that blew my mind when I first heard her speak about it, because it does make so much sense that any little step you can take in the right direction is a step in the right direction. We hope you guys enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Harrison and If you know anyone that's struggling, share this podcast episode with them and go to our show notes because there are many, many resources to access there. We have another great episode of Directionally Challenged next week. We'll see you then. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.